other thing to recognize is that you were kind of talking about that trade-off and the opportunity cost, like where you could be doing something else instead of taking care of yourself. Um, And I think that this kind of arises as a result of just like ingrained guilt in culture, especially in schools like the Ivy League, where you kind of feel guilty for taking care of yourself almost because you're like, I could be doing this work. I could be doing all of this other stuff, but um, I'm deciding to take a break. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I shouldn't be taking a break right now. Um, and so all of that kind of just like coagulates and uh, it, it's, very, it's very hard to kind of get out of that cycle. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Trisha, freshman at Cornell University, women's rights and mental health activist and founder and CEO of the Art Shine Foundation, where Trisha is using art to incite social change. Trisha, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? I'm doing good. Um, There's a lot going on, um, but I'm trying to take it one day at a time. Um, This week was especially difficult because Cornell got a bomb threat on Mm -hmm. Sunday and then they got an active shooter threat on Monday. So um, it's been kind of mentally taxing, but um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I think that this conversation will be really great after a long week and I'm super excited. So thanks for having me. Of course. And having those threats on campus is terrifying. And when I was growing up, it didn't happen as much as it does now. But I did have one scare when I was in college where there was a bomb threat called in. And I remember everyone just being terrified, not sure if it was real, if their dorm was too close to that building, what was going to happen, what they were supposed to do. The campus kind of completely shut down. And I just remember feeling completely overwhelmed. So as a student in that climate where school shootings and bomb threats happen a lot more frequently than they have in the past, what does that feel like? Um, it's pretty intimidating. Um, I think that as students, we're so susceptible to things like this happening. We really don't have any control over it. It's mostly the university that handles things like this. Um, so for us, it was a shelter in place request. We didn't really know what was going on. Um, students were freaking out. Parents were freaking out. Um, and it's scary because it, it feels like everyone is so underprepared in the case that something like that actually were to happen. Um, and I think that's the scariest part of it all is not what happened because the bomb threat was not valid. Um, and the active shooter did not come onto campus. But in the case that, um, you know, things worsened, uh, it, it could have been a lot more, um, could have been a lot more destructive. And just thinking about that is, is extremely scary. I can't imagine what it's like to be a student or a parent in today's world where it is so just normal. Like we hear it all the time and we're kind of desensitized to it until it happens on our campus. And growing up in a world where that's so normal, 
and being in school not so normal, it has to take a major toll on students' mental health. And I know today we are going to talk about mental health in the higher education system. But before we jump into that, I would love it if you could tell us more about the Artshine Foundation and what inspired you to start this nonprofit organization. Absolutely. So um, last year, I decided to start the Artshine Foundation, um, and I started it after kind of a few years of doing art activism related work. Um, I had a friend who was going through cancer treatment, so I sent her some of my artwork, um, and that kind of just helped uplift her. Um, and I started realizing that art can actually be utilized as kind of like a tool to not only spread positive messages, but advocate for others and advocate for social issues because um, it, it can spread such a powerful message because um, you have to look at the artwork. There's like nowhere else to go. Um, and so I wanted to kind of create an organization where artifacts could come together and, and incite social change through their artwork. Um, that's kind of what motivated me to start the Artshine Foundation because I didn't really see another space like that elsewhere for artists to kind of collectively share their work, um, for there to be a space for creators to come together and advocate for what they cared about through art um, and wanting to kind of bridge that gap and, and bring artists, young artists and change makers together, um, I decided to launch my nonprofit. A picture is truly worth a thousand words. And to recognize that not only does art have the power to light up a room, to add as a great decoration, but also to express yourself, to share messages, to empower people, and to want to put that together and combine it with activism in a way that helps people understand the issues at hand. I think one of the biggest reasons why the world is the way it is, is today, is that no one's listening. When someone's talking, they're talking over them. But when it comes to looking at a picture, looking at art, you're not talking over it. You're forced to actually see it and interpret it in a way that makes sense to you and in the way that the artist had put it forward. So I absolutely admire what you're doing. Thank you so much. That means, that means a lot. Sure. So now as a new college student at Cornell and the CEO of a nonprofit organization, you have a lot on your plate. What are some of the biggest challenges you have faced thus far and how have they impacted your mental health? Um, so I think the biggest challenge I faced as a college student is uh, just the vast amount of things going on um, day to day. I have uh, consulting club meetings, dance dance team practices, um, homework and problem sets, studying for prelims, um, networking events, meeting up with people, um, doing events, uh, doing like podcast events like this. Um, it's just, there's just so much going on. Um, and there are always the events because this is Cornell and there's always something going on. There's always something to do. Um, and as students at an Ivy League, we're, we're trying our best to kind of utilize the resources here to the max. Um, and I guess what this does is that it, it kind of starts forcing us to put other things above our mental health and our well-being. Um, and I've kind of seen this and experienced this firsthand. And I struggle with this a lot, too, when 
I know I'm super overwhelmed. I know I need a break. I just need to sleep or do something else besides work. And I still sit there and, and grind through whatever work I have because I'm like, I need to get this done. Um, and so that's a real struggle. Um, I think everyone here faces, including me. Um, and I think like to kind of prioritize yourself takes a lot of strength and courage, especially when people around you aren't kind of doing the same thing. Um, but I think having these conversations are so important to kind of recognizing what you might be doing that's jeopardizing your well-being. Um, and recognizing that and then trying to fix that and taking better care of yourself, I think is the most important thing that you can do in, in a university like Cornell. You brought up an amazing point about how you kind of sacrifice yourself for all that you have to do, because you could take time for yourself and give yourself that break you need, or you can finish these assignments and get to these extracurricular activities, get to the job fair, go to recruitment options. And it's kind of like, it's a choice. You have to choose your mental health or your future. And we were taught to separate them instead of to integrate them. And I think in college campuses in general, there is so much anxiety and fear of failing, of not knowing what you want to do. And even if you have some general idea of what you want to do, but where do you want to do it? What company do you want to be at? There are so many levels and it's terrifying what happens when you go to the job there, you go to recruitment and that you give out your resume and no one calls. There is so much anxiety and fear. And then you add on top of that, the IV league pressure where you have so much respect and excitement within you that you get to be there. And then you don't want to take advantage of it. You don't want to miss out on any resource that is now available to you. So you talked a little bit about how you need a break sometimes, but you have to make that choice. Have you ever been able to really make that choice to take a break or has it been something that you've continuously had to push aside? Um, that's a great question. I think that, you know, some days I'm really not able to um, take care of myself over the work I have. It's just, I feel like it's way too important, um, which is sad. Um, and I, I, I think I need to change that and make sure that my health and well-being comes first over anything ever. Um, but I think I do try to prioritize so that my health comes first and then everything else comes afterwards. Um, and there have been times where I'm just burnt out or exhausted and I, I'm like, I need to go to the gym and blow off some steam. I don't care um, what meetings I have, what work I have. Um, what I could be doing right now, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to work out. Um, and so I think fitness has been really important for me going to the gym. Um, I go like five times a week. Um, and that just kind of keeps me afloat. That's like my motivation. Um, and I think the other thing to recognize is that you were kind of talking about that trade-off on um, the opportunity cost like where you could be doing something else instead of taking care of yourself. Um, and I think that this kind of arises as a result of just like ingrained guilt in culture, especially in schools like the Ivy League, where you kind of feel guilty for taking care of yourself almost because you're like, 
I could be doing this work. I could be doing all of this other stuff, but um, I'm deciding to take a break. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I shouldn't be taking a break right now. Um, and so all of that kind of just like coagulates and uh, it, it's very, it's very hard to kind of get out of that cycle. That is a very difficult cycle to break. And I love how you mentioned exercise and fitness is a way that helps you take that break and relieve some stress. I know for me in undergrad, I was so stressed that I went to the gym and ran three times a day. Before I went to class, I was terrified. I was always afraid I was going to miss something or I was going to be late to class or something that I'd had to go like run out that stress before I would have a full-blown anxiety attack after class because of the overwhelming amount of work and lesson information we had. And then at night after a full day of studying and running around extracurriculars, and that became my crutch for so long. And I didn't realize that was a crutch. It was just the only way that I was getting through it. And I didn't realize that I really needed a break. I needed a break from running. I needed a break from school. I needed a break from club meetings and presentations. I just needed a break. So you've mentioned that you were able to recognize that within yourself. And I think a lot of students can't. So what are those warning signs within yourself that you're like, okay, you know what? Now it's time for a break. Yeah, I think... um... So I think like everyone has a certain like maximum capacity. Um, for me, I would say it's pretty high. Um, like I can go for a very long amount of time before I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a break. Um, and obviously like you should not hit that point because that's like, that's when you're breaking down and you're not functioning. Um, and so it, it should never like get to that point. Um, but I think that some red flags are if, if you're not able to concentrate, if you're not, you know, getting sleep, um, if you're finding yourself just getting lost or like daydreaming or zoning, zoning out, it's, it's like a sign that you, you're not, not focused and you're just not in the mental capacity to like do work or learn um, or absorb anything. Um, and that's happened to me before. Um, it's happened to me here. Um, and this week is like prelims week. Um, there's a dance performance on Sunday. Um, and combined, I've been kind of out of it this entire week with the bomb threats and everything. And so, I mean, just talking to you right now, like I'm, I'm recognizing red flags within myself, which are telling me that I need a break, but like I can't slow down right now because there's too much going on. Um, and so kind of putting two and two together, uh, I think it's important to, to strike a balance. You, you should know when um, you're not able to deal with what's going on and when you need that break, but you should also kind of figure out like when, when you can take that break, when the right time is to take that break. Um, and finding that balance is difficult, but uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's still achievable. I agree. We all do have that capacity, max capacity, where there's only so much we can handle. There's only so much we can do before we just burn out. And if we don't recognize it until the end, it's a lot more difficult to rejuvenate. But you mentioned within yourself that right now talking, you hear these red flags within yourself, you're recognizing them, but you don't have the opportunity to slow down right now because there is so much happening and there's so much you have to do. And I think that 
that's really relatable and college students as a whole in the higher education system as a whole, that we kind of don't have a chance to take a break. So we run and run and run until we hit points of depression. And there was a study reported by NAMI that they found about 64% of college students drop out of college because of their mental health. So outside of that level of burnout, what do you think are some of the other causes of a decline in mental health for college students? Yeah, um, I think uh, there are quite a few factors. Um, First of all, like we're adjusting to a new environment. Um, We're off on our own. We have to deal with um, college level classes, extracurriculars. We're just kind of thrown into a new environment. Um, And it's very difficult to to find support. Um, I think the other thing is social isolation. Um, People who are introverted, who have difficulties just kind of branching out and and reaching out to people and talking to new people. Um, I think that's a huge factor at Cornell. Um, A lot of people have difficulties fitting in just due to polarization or circles kind of already being created. Um, And I've read a lot of Reddit articles of of people just speaking about their personal experiences, feeling isolated and left out. Um, And I think the other thing uh, is at schools like Cornell and and other Ivy Leagues, there's kind of this like workaholic mindset where um, if you're not working 24 by 7 or if you're getting a good eight hours of sleep, you're seen as like less productive or less smart or things like that. Um, And so I think that's just a completely toxic mentality, but people truly, truly believe it. Um, And they, and this kind of perpetuates it in other people who don't believe it um, because they start seeing everyone doing that. And they're like, I should be doing this too. Um, And then, yes, I think those are the three main factors. Um, And then the other thing is that a lot of universities don't have great mental health resources. Um, I would say Cornell does try to to connect students with mental health resources, but after the bomb threat and the active shooter, um, and a lot of students here expressed this, but we felt like it wasn't acknowledged as much as it should have been, um, and students' mental health was just kind of pushed to the staff. Um, they didn't speak, I mean, they, they had a couple of seminars, but we, we definitely needed a day off. Um, from just everything uh, and we didn't we didn't get that opportunity so um, as much as Cornell tries to kind of push mental health resources it, it lags behind in so many other areas because um, we literally got a bomb threat people could like people's lives could have been in danger and and they knew that and that's what they were thinking at the time so um, I think just a combination of that uh you can probably see how that leads to, to mental declines in mental health. It's really unfortunate that the higher education system tends to miss the mark on mental health in so many ways. And like you said, having that bomb threat and not a day off to process it, that is really hard. And we don't realize how that's traumatizing to a student. It's traumatizing in ways that the faculty doesn't completely understand because they didn't grow up in a world where this is actually happening all the time. To them, it was a threat that happened and a threat happens, but the actual event did not happen. Therefore, it's fine. But what they don't account for is all these students on campus 
have lived in a world where you turn on the news and a school shooting happened, or they were put on lockdown for a day on code black, where they couldn't get out of their classrooms. They were stuck. They didn't know where the shooter was, whether it was on their campus or the neighboring campus. They don't realize that the reality of the world is so much different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago when they were in school. And they're not adapting to the new climate. And it's very, very unfortunate. And like you said, a lot of resources just aren't available. There was a study that, or part of that same study where they said 50% of those who drop out of college because of mental health do it because they don't have access to mental health services. So again, not having accesses to services or resources and the colleges aren't pushing them and providing them can be very, very difficult. And I want to talk more about that in a minute, but before we dive into what resources are available, what do you think are some of the barriers and concerns that keep college students from accessing the resources that are available to them? Absolutely. Um, So I think that uh, some of the barriers, obviously there are financial barriers if you want to get outside mental health support. um, And if you don't have the right finances for it, it's very hard to not only ask someone to like support you in financially um, and also go out and and search for outside resources. Um, And then I think within college campuses, um, something that prevents students from getting the treatment that they should be getting is stigma um, and just internal guilt over getting help. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things um, because a lot of students feel like if they get help that they're weak or that um, you know, it, it shows poorly on them, which it absolutely does not. Um, and I think the third thing is that it's difficult to find those resources. Um, colleges don't usually put them just like out there for you. You kind of have to hunt and search for them. Um, students don't really talk about it that much amongst themselves. So it's not like an open discussion topic where you can walk into a dining hall and hear people talking about it because if that were the case it would be a lot easier because people would be like I'm seeing this therapist I like I reached out to this resource you should too I don't I don't really hear that a lot um and so kind of the lack of community surrounding mental health the stigma financial barriers um and just kind of the lack of or the lack of resources or the lack of touch points to get to those resources combined um, result in just low rates of people reaching out. Those are very powerful reasons why students don't seek treatment. And I want to tie that back into what you said earlier about how our worth is tied to our productivity when we're in college. So if you're not working 24-7, you're seen as less. If you are taking time to take a break, to get enough sleep, to go out and have fun with your friends, you are seen as less. And then it's that competition of keeping up with the student who's ahead of you and wanting to be the top student so you have the best opportunities when you get out of college. So all of that stress brings in that point of, do you have time to seek treatment? Do you really have time to seek treatment when you have so many other things on your plate? And then if even getting enough sleep or taking a break seem, makes you seem weak, what would happen if someone else found out you were in therapy or you went to the counseling center? And that adds a whole level, another level of pressure 
that keep students from reaching out. But you did mention that there were some services and treatment options or resources available on your college campus at Cornell. What are some of those resources? Absolutely. So there's a center here called the TACCON Center for first-year students, um, and they often host things like wellness days, um, just where people can come and talk. Um, and there is also our medical center. So they have therapies that you can have therapy sessions there. They have nutritionists um, and things like that. And after the bomb threat, they also had a couple of um, discussions where students could kind of come together um, and uh, speak about the events that happened. Um, and there are also a couple of mental health related clubs on campus, um, which kind of host events uh, talking about mental health on campus and kind of promoting mental health on campus. Um, and actually on Cornell's website, and they recently also launched a graphic about it, um, but they have a uh, list of just mental health resources and a couple of um, crisis lines and helplines that you can reach out to. Um, so that's my knowledge about it, but I'm, I know that they have a very expansive kind of mental health network. Um, and obviously I think it can be improved. Um, I, I don't think it's nearly enough support, um, enough support to, to help all the students on campus. Um, and it's, difficult to kind of find those resources and reach out and, and go out of your way to kind of get therapy or get help um, or attend these um, seminars or meetings to discuss mental health because you're like I have a consulting meeting to go to I can't be here right now um, which is which is so sad like that's so stupid but that's just been normalized um, so yeah those are just a couple of the resources on campus. It does sound like there are some great resources that provide platforms for students to have these conversations. But again, if they're being held at times where students also have classes or meetings to be at, it becomes a little bit inaccessible. And then it still isn't touching on that therapy point where we need access to therapy. So although they have these resources listed and the crisis lines and all stuff, they're doing a great job at starting. But like you said, it's not nearly enough. So what additional services do you wish that you could see on your college campus? Um, I think just like free counseling sessions, just like open walk-in counseling, um, more discussion groups, just like online discussion groups for students to discuss mental health. Um, there's flyers everywhere on Cornell's campus. I think flyers promoting mental health um, more events regarding mental health advocacy, um, just kind of building community around it. I think breaking down the stigma is the first step, um, and then sensitizing faculty and staff to, to kind of the struggles that we face as students and just advocating and pushing for real change on campus, um, I think would definitely help with kind of um, bolstering the mental health resources that Cornell has. Um, and, and I feel like there's just so much you can do to improve student mental health, giving mental health days, um, just like dedicating a couple of days in the year um, just to give students a break. Um, I feel like college campuses can be so much more accommodating when students ask for a mental health day or when they ask for things to be pushed forward. Um, the university should listen. They shouldn't just ignore what students are saying because that just 
continues to foster the stigma because students feel like they're not being listened to um, and everyone is just forced to keep going. Um, so I think, I think the biggest thing is just listening, listening to students, listening to our needs, because that's the first step to getting anywhere. Um, and then implementing things like counseling, um, giving us free resources to therapy or things like that, um, and, and building community around mental health. That is an amazing goal to have. And like you said, listening, we tend to, or the higher education system tends to ignore us as students. They tend to assume that they know what's best and they choose their, re- their where they put their money for the resources specifically toward what's going to make them more money. And they forget that a student's mental health is going to determine whether or not they graduate. That's tuition that you're missing out on by not taking care of your students. And like you said, they're just not listening. And if they did listen and they provided that free counseling, every college student deserves access to free therapy. No matter what college you go to, you're paying way too much in tuition. You genuinely are. And the better the university, the more money you are paying. You deserve access to therapy. Your tuition should not only go toward promoting the football teams and the sports teams or in trying to have the best technology to boost your ranking. It should also be invested back into the students because the students at the end of the day are where your ranking does come from. So back to you, though, as a college student with so much on your plate, you talked about um, running and fitness or I said running, you said fitness for your mental health. And that's how you make some time. Are there other ways that you make time for your mental health, other coping mechanisms that you use? Yeah, so um, Cornell's campus is really pretty. So just taking walks outside or just kind of um, hanging out with friends, going to get dinner with someone. um, I think those are really great ways. I'm also into music. So I'm going to be getting more into that next semester. I'm going to be doing harp next semester. um, And I find that music is a really good coping mechanism for me, at least. Um, And then the other thing is that I'm part of Cornell Bhangra. So that's one of the Indian dance teams on campus. Um, And they practice a lot. And they practice three times a week for two to three hours. Um, And it's a lot, but um it it's something that I really look forward to um and when I dance um it's like it clears my mind and I think it's really good for me mentally so um and I think that also goes into fitness I think like the main thing that keeps me afloat is fitness um because I don't have time for a lot of other things so and kind of just having conversations like this um and next week I'm going to be traveling and the week after I'm going to be traveling. So when I'm outside, just kind of taking that break and and not thinking about other things. Um, Yeah, those are, those are a couple ways I cope. I love those coping mechanisms. First of all, music is an amazing way to cope, moving your body, paying it to just sitting outside and paying attention to the scenery around you and the beauty of the world around you. It's a great mindfulness activity and grounding activity. All of these coping mechanisms that you have developed, even if you can't use them as much as the fitness one, 
These are amazing coping mechanisms. Was it easy for you to figure these out or did it take time and practice to figure out your set of coping mechanisms? Um, so I think it was relatively easy. Some things took more time than others, but for example, fitness, I was already very um, involved in fitness, just like at home, I would do at home workouts um, and go for walks, um, just like exercise um, and just do a lot of physical activities. So when I came here, I knew that I would prioritize that um, and that I would go to the gym as often as I could. Um, and with music, like I've been doing that for a few years, as well as art. Um, but other things like the mindfulness aspect that you mentioned, um, those are things that I've been trying to develop after I came here, because it's very, uh, it's very easy to get absorbed in everything that's going on. Um, and with just like a thousand things running through your mind constantly, um, that gets overwhelming really quickly. Um, so I think it's important to uh, slow down and just appreciate smaller things. Um, so when I'm walking on campus, I just try to clear my head, look around me, be like, oh my God, it's a tree. That's such a pretty tree. Like, I love the colors. Or like, if there's like a squirrel running around, I'll be like, oh my God, it's a squirrel. It's so cute. Like, I love squirrels. Um, and just like stupid things like that, um, which kind of ground me in the moment. Um, and I mean, it sounds really simple and easy, but it's really not, um, to kind of observe the things around you, to slow down, to, to stop thinking about all of the work you have and, and just stare at things in nature. Um, that takes time and practice and mindfulness. And as simple as it seems, it's not that easy to do. Um, and it's something that I've been trying to work on, uh, here to, to kind of improve my mental health and, and help me and ground me in the moment. I love that. And I love how you brought up that it takes work. It takes time to figure it out because I think when it comes to finding coping mechanisms, one of the biggest deterrents is that you try it once. It doesn't work out the way that everyone says it does, especially with like meditation, mindfulness activities, deep breathing, journaling. There's all these activities that may not have the perfect effect the first time. You may have to figure out the right way to meditate, the right way to journal, the right way to practice a mindfulness activity. And it's hard. It takes time to learn what your body needs, what your mind needs to set the right intentions. And a lot of people just feel discouraged. So to know that it does take time and it, some of it was easy to figure out for you and some of it was hard and that's okay. So thank you for bringing that up. And I was wondering if you have any advice to offer to a student who's looking to make time for their mental health, but doesn't know where to start. I mean, between managing course loads, recruitment, extracurriculars, social life relationships, where do they take from? Where do they kind of bring in that space? Absolutely. Um, so personally, you know, I listed just three things because outside of that, I just do not have time. Um, if I could, I would journal, I would meditate, I would do so many other um, kind of wellness activities. Um, but for other students, I think there's so much that you can do from, from you know, FaceTiming friends, FaceTiming your family, making time mm -hmm. for family, um, making time for people that you love. Um, journaling, meditating, doing yoga, staying active, um, going outside, going for walks, um, cooking, just like doing activities that you enjoy that kind of 
take you out of your work that that bring you away from that and, and help you connect with yourself. Um, music, there's, I mean, there's just so much that you can do. Um, and I think that like the most important thing is time management and figuring out where to fit that in into your schedule. Um, but I think that that becomes easier if you kind of prioritize your well-being first. Um, and whenever I start getting drowned out by work, I'm like, hold on a second. Like, where, where is my, where are my priorities right now? How do I fix that? Um, and when I put my health first, I see that I can make time for that because I kind of cut other things out of my schedule because I'm like, that's just not as important as my health and well-being. Um, or if I'm calling someone, um, I'm telling myself that I shouldn't feel guilty for taking a break and just talking to someone I enjoy talking to. Yeah. Um, and I think developing that mindset is really important in making sure that you're able to do these other activities, you're able to partake in coping mechanisms and just kind of retain your mental health, even when you have a lot of other stuff going on. Prioritizing your mental health is the most important mindset you should have. And I love that you shared that. It's really hard when you feel like you don't have the time. And to know that when you do put your mental health first, you are able to see more clearly, to look at your schedule and make time and create a better time management plan for yourself. Maybe there are things you're doing that you're spending extra time on that you don't need to and you don't realize it because you're just burnt out. So having that space to take care of yourself first allows for everything else to fall into place. Before we wrap up, can you share maybe three action items for your fellow students who may feel like their mental health is on the decline and they want to start getting support, whether it's on or off campus support? Absolutely. So I think the first thing I would say is put yourself first. Um, a lot of students don't realize that without, you know, without being healthy, you can't accomplish anything else. And, and that's why it should come first. Even when it seems like you can jeopardize your health and well-being to do your work, um, that's, that's, not, that's not how that works. Um, and I've seen that firsthand when I'm like, oh, like, whatever, I'll be fine, but I'm just going to keep doing this. Um, and it's, it's so destructive for you, and it's really hard to recover from that. So I think the first thing is put yourself first. Um, I think the second thing I would say is talk to others about it. Um, if you're going, if you're struggling, and if you're facing challenges, it's a terrible idea to keep everything to yourself and just bottle it up inside. Um, I think doing that not only contributes to um, the stigma around mental health, but it, it drowns you out from the rest of the world if you don't tell anyone else what's going on. It's so dangerous to you um, because if, if other people don't know what you're struggling with, um, there's there's no outlet for you. There's no way you can improve um, or, or seek that help that you need. Um, so I think talking about it is extremely important. Talking about it to people who you trust um, and care about, who you know care about you. Um, you don't have to go kind of go out there and be like, hi, everyone, I have depression. <laughs> like, you don't have to do that. But um, talking, talking about it is so important. Um, and then I think the third thing is don't be afraid 
to reach out. Um, generally, people are, are willing to help you. They want to help you. And sometimes you can find support in places that you didn't think you could find support in. Um, universities do have counseling and that's, I mean, that's the best resource. Um, certified counselors or therapists, go to them first. Um, that's absolutely the, the, the best way. Um, go, going to licensed medical professionals who, who have experience and who can help you cope with those issues. But also if you have kind professors or friends or, or other people that you, you think can support you, that's also extremely important. I think it's just as important as um, going to a licensed medical professional. Um, so don't be afraid to, to reach out to those resources. That doesn't make you less smart or weak or not as worthy. Um, and so it's absolutely okay to, to reach out. It, it makes you a stronger person. It shows how strong you are um, for, for relying on those resources. So those are the, the three things that I would say. Prioritize yourself, talk to someone, and don't be afraid to reach out for help. Trisha, you've been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing an inside look into what it's like in our higher education system with students' mental health. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Fran. You, you're such an amazing host, um, and you're doing incredible things uh, with Inspiring Your Generation. So thank you so much for being here.